welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Today, I want to talk about disruption. And I'm a little bit wary about starting that way because disruption is a big word at the moment. It's a hot topic, but it's also become a little bit hyped and overused. And uh, I know that sometimes when people hear about the word disruption, when it talks about when you're talking about your industry and your business, then it causes a little bit of fear, uncertainty, doubt, and perhaps even a little bit of skepticism because you hear the word thrown about a lot. And a lot of it's from people who are warning you that your industry is going to be disrupted. Every industry is going to be disrupted, but they don't actually tell you what disruption means, uh, how it might affect your industry and your business, and also what it means for you in practical terms. So today we're going to cover some of those things, not only talk about what disruption is, uh, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on defining it, but also what might be disrupting your business and your industry, and specifically what are some of the danger points and the pressure points in your business so that you know what you can do to tackle disruption. Now, obviously, in this, with this limited time, we're not going to go into a whole strategy of managing disruption and making sure that you're future-proof, but I'll give you some idea of where some of the threats and the risks and the opportunities might be. So to start off with, let me tell you about my very first business. So when I left university a long time ago, I was working for a small software company. But then after about eight years, I left and I started my own business. It was a web design business. And this was 20 years ago now. So this was one of the the first web design businesses in Australia. And my business, First Step Communications, started building websites for small businesses uh, in Australia. So websites at the time, they looked pretty basic and they didn't have a lot of functionality in them. And it took quite a while to build a website. So for most of our clients, we had clients like schools and financial planning firms, a few other small businesses. For typical website, we used to charge about $5,000 and would take about three months to build a website, sometimes even six months. But let's say on average to get a small business website built would take about three months and it would cost you about $5,000. But then soon after that, technology got a lot better and it got to the point where I could build a website quite easily with some software that was available online. And it got to the point where I could run courses and I could I ran a course called Build Your Website in Two Days. So I'd get a bunch of people together in a room and they would literally build their website themselves over two days. And this was a high quality website, the same kind of websites that we were building for them, but now they could do it for themselves in just two days. And we charged about $1,000 to $1,500 for that two-day course. So that was good from a client's point of view, but it got better again. And a couple of years ago, I ran a webinar for members of my membership site on how to build a website in an hour. And the cost of that for hosting is about $100 a year using a hosting platform called strikingly.com. So we've gone from three months and $5,000 to one hour and $100. Now that took 15 to 20 years for the web design technology to make that level of progress. But of course, things are moving much faster now. And I wonder for you, Can you imagine what would happen in your business if your core business, the product or service that you offer, if you're charging a lot of money and it takes a lot of time, what would happen if somebody else could come along and create something that your clients could use so that they could do exactly the same thing, get the same results in an hour for, say, a 100 bucks? Now, you may not know how they do it, but let's imagine that they could do it. And that's a challenge. So that's the challenge that we're facing now. How ready are you for that kind of disruption in your business? 
So if that happened, what would happen to your business? So I'd like you to rate yourself on a level of one to five and think about where you are in terms of being ready for that kind of disruption. So uh, one is the worst and five is the most ready. So let's let's say one means that you can't even think about it because you're just managing to get by right now. You're just keeping your head above water. The number two would be that you know it's coming, but you're going okay and you think that we'll cross a bridge when we come to it. Number three is that you know it's coming and you, and you know what you're going to do about it, so you've got some kind of plan. Number four is to say, I'll bring it on because we're ready for disruption. And number five is to say that we're actually going to be the disruptors in our industry, maybe even disrupt a completely different industry. So just think about it from a level of one to five, where are you? Uh, from one, as I said, is that you can't even think about it. And five, to think that you're going to be the disruptor in your industry. Now, when I've asked groups of people about this, uh, most people rate themselves three, four, or five. And it's a little bit self-selecting because the sort of groups I asked are the people who are interested in this topic, so they kind of will self-select and rate a little bit higher. But I just wonder, where are you? And I think if you're still down at one or two, where you're thinking number one is can't even think about it, and number two is, yeah, we know it's coming, but uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, then it's a real challenge for you, and there's a danger, because change is happening in your industry and to your business, and it's not going to wait until you're ready for it. So you have an idea of how ready you are, and uh, let me share with you how ready Australian businesses are. And the, the study of Australian leadership looked at leadership at work across a number of industries in Australia, and they looked at the biggest challenges that Australian leaders think that they're going to face in the next few years. So they came up with the top six challenges that Australian leaders said that they're likely to face uh, even the next 18 months to three years. So number one, is probably the one that you expect, which is competition. So everybody wants a bigger part of the market share. Uh, but now the competition's coming from other places, not just the traditional places. It's coming from online, and it's coming from much more international competition as well, as the world becomes smaller and uh, international trade becomes easier. The second one, again, is kind of a traditional kind of challenge, and that's operational things, uh, just getting stuff done. So that's a challenge as well. The third one, again, something that's been around for a while but is getting tougher, is government regulations, so red tape. It could be industry regulators or it could be governments that are imposing regulations on businesses. Number four is a war for talent. So how do you find, recruit and keep the best people? So we're talking about human resources, human capital here. Number five is the one that many people think about when they hear the word disruption, and that's technology. But it's not only about technology and it was only ranked at number five. However, of course, it affects some of the other things as well. So it affects competition, it affects talent, it affects the way that your operations work. And the last one is uncertainty. It's the uncertain environment in which we operate. So the risk and the uncertainty that many people are facing in the business environment. Okay, so those are six things, the six biggest challenges that Australian leaders said were their biggest challenges. So if we go through them again, competition, operations, regulation, talent, technology, and uncertainty. So what about you? What are your biggest challenges in the next three years? And again, I've asked a number of people about this and I've run surveys in webinars and presentations and with my clients. And here's some of the things that uh, clients say are their challenges. Out-of-date technology. So making the switch to new technology, staying up to date or staying up to date with the latest knowledge and advances and technology advances, a recruitment, a competitors using technology better than we do, growth, 
apart the fact that your business is slowly growing and may be ripe for disruption. Some businesses that have operated with face-to-face interaction uh, just wonder how they can ensure that people continue to value face-to-face interaction rather than relying on online learning and online interactions. Um, wasted time at meetings and other operational issues. Okay, so what's, what is it for you? I'm sure there are some challenges that you know that you will be facing in the next 18 months to three years. So now you have an understanding of where your business is and what are some of the biggest challenges facing your business and your industry. Let's look at your business growth. Because, of course, disruption itself is pretty meaningless, except that it affects your business growth. And most businesses go through a typical kind of growth curve. This has always been the case, and this growth curve you might recognize in your own business. It's happened for businesses for decades, for centuries. It's just that now, in a fast-changing, disruptive world, it's become sharper and more important. So here's what typically happens with a business. When it starts off, it grows quite quickly. It goes through a phase which I call FFF. I'll explain what that means soon. So it grows and it grows and it grows quite quickly because it's in rapid growth, it's learning new things, it's discovering what's happening in the environment, and it grows quite fast. And then it gets to a point where the growth starts slowing. It doesn't have to stop, but it grows slower. And this is a stage which I'm going to call SBE. And they go along at that slow growth rate for a while until they reach a disruption point. And At that point, one of two things is going to happen. Either they'll continue on that SBE path and then they fail, which most businesses do in an industry, or they adapt and they switch into FFF again and they grow. And what you want to do is you want to be on that FFF curve rather than the SBE curve. If you've been in business for a while, then you might be at that SBE stage. But what you want to do is switch as fast as possible to FFF. Okay, so what does that mean? What is this FFF and SBE? Well, some of you may have heard me talk about this before, that FFF means fast, flat, and free. So that's what's happening to our world at the moment. Our world is moving towards being fast, flat, and free. So fast means we've got technology. That means that we're, we can do things much faster. We've got innovation happening. We've got change that's happening faster than ever before. The second thing is that our world has become flattened. We're getting rid of hierarchies or we're throwing stones at hierarchies. We've become a lot more customer-centric. Customers have a lot more power than before, a lot more options. We're a much more global world. Whether or not you have travel bans and, and extreme vetting of people into countries doesn't matter because the Internet breaks down some of those borders and those barriers. And, of course, you've got a lot more social power as well. So customers have power to, to talk and interact among themselves rather than just talk to their to businesses and vendors and their suppliers. The third thing that's happened is the idea of free, that things that used to cost a lot now cost a lot less, and and sometimes even free. Now, partly it's because things that are digital, so it's so much easier and cheaper to ship bits around, for example, books and online music, rather than physical books and CDs. We can also collaborate a lot more, so things become a lot cheaper, and we can combine our resources to have greater buying power. So these three things, fast, flat, and free, are where the world is heading. Let me give you one example of that. It's a very powerful example of that. What's happening globally is our economic power in the world is shifting. And it's shifting from north to south and west to east. So if you can imagine a map of the world, for most of the last 50 years, our world economy has been dominated by seven countries. The USA and Canada in the Americas. Then in Europe, we've got the UK, France, Italy and Germany. And then in Asia, just Japan. So these are countries that we call the G7. 
And PricewaterhouseCoopers predicts that by 2030, the power of the G7 is going to be matched by seven other economies, uh, seven other countries, which they call the, the emerging economies or the E7. So Brazil and Mexico, Turkey and Russia, India, China and Indonesia. So 2030, which is not that far away, and then if you look ahead another 20 years, the power of the G7 has faded, and we're going to have another seven countries, which are called the F7, the frontier markets, which are going to share economic power with the E7. So Peru and Colombia, Nigeria and Morocco, the Philippines, Bangladesh and Vietnam. And if you map that out on a world map, you'll notice that the power has shifted from north to south and west to east. So that's what our world is going to look like a generation from now. It's gone further south and it's gone further east to Asia, to parts of Africa, to parts of South America. And that's one of the consequences of our fast, flat and free world. And for a country like Australia, where I live and where you might live, we're perfectly placed to take advantage of that shift. We're not one of those E7 or F7 countries, but we're sitting here right on the footsteps of this Asian century and where global power is going to be for the next hundred years or so. And we've got a lot of things going for us that are very attractive globally. If you can imagine anywhere in the world that you'd like to live, you'd want a place with a democratic government, a strong economy, pretty good financial system, a stable currency, and a whole bunch of other things that make Australia a really attractive place to live if we take advantage of some of the changes that are coming. So, if you think that change is good rather than change being dangerous and risky, then there are some great opportunities for us, especially if you're in a country like Australia or New Zealand or parts of Asia. The challenge is, and this is what happens when you go back to that growth curve, is that if we think of fast, flat and free as being good, there are many businesses which are the opposite of that. And the opposite of fast, flat and free is slow, bumpy and expensive. And that's that SBE that I was talking about that businesses get to when they grow. So they've grown a little bit and they've grown fast in that fast, flat and free phase. But then after a while, they start growing more slowly. And that's where they become slow, bumpy and expensive, SBE. And they go through that growth phase. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a bad thing if it goes on forever. So if you're thinking about how you can possibly be disrupted in the future, look at what slow, bumpy and expensive in your business right now. And I'm going to give you some examples so you can think about your own business. And then at the end, I'll ask you, are you slow, bumpy or expensive? So let me give you some examples and uh, we'll look at what slow, bumpy and expensive means for you. So first of all, let me just tell you broadly what that means, slow, bumpy and expensive. Okay, let's look at slow first. Are you offering a service? By definition, a service is slow, uh, even if you think it's a very fast service. Are you offering anything that's highly technical or complex? Well, the chances are that it's slow. Now, you may not like that, but that's the case. For example, I'm a conference speaker, so I offer a service. I speak at conferences, and like it or not, that's slow. It's a slow way for people to get information. It's even a slow way for people to get entertained and engaged. So that's one of the risks in my business, and on the other side, it's an opportunity for me to do something about it. Now, bumpy. Bumpy is the opposite of flat. So flat is where you break down the hierarchies. Bumpy is where you've still got those hierarchies. So if you're operating in any sort of industry that's regulated, licensed, controlled, where customers are forced to do things a certain way, then it's a bumpy business or it's a bumpy product or service that you're offering. So I'll give you a couple of examples later. 
And the third one, expensive, well, that kind of speaks for itself. Do you charge a fee up front rather than charging a small monthly fee? Is it expensive for customers to deal with you? Does it take a long time for them to get results? So again, that could be an opportunity for somebody. Okay, so let's look at some examples of each of those three areas. Let's look at slow first. So if you're offering something that's technical or complex, that, that could be slow. So one of my favorite examples of slow business was the videotape business or the video rental business. Blockbuster went out of business, not because videotapes became obsolete and they shifted to DVDs and Blu-rays, but because the service it offered was slow. You had to get in your car, drive to the shop, look at some shelves, find the rental that you wanted, uh, rent it, watch it, and then go back to the shop and return it. And then Netflix came along, and then suddenly with the click of a button on an app, you can get access to pretty much the whole range and the same offerings that Blockbuster offered, but it's available to you from the comfort of your home, in an app, on your TV, at home. So it's one of those things that took away all of the extra friction that Blockbuster had. So it, it became, it changed from slow to fast. And that's just one example of what's happening with a lot of retail. It's not just Blockbuster, but it's happening in retail in general. A lot of retailers are struggling at the moment because the balance between offline and online has shifted and it's tipped over. See, not that long ago, um, people used to ask, how can we make the online experience as good as going into a retail shop? Now it's the other way around. How can we make the retail in-store experience as good as what people can get online? Because there's a whole lot of friction to going into a retail shop. You've got to, as I said, you've got to drive, you've got to park, you've got to go into the shop, you've got to wait till some shop assistant who doesn't really want to serve you starts serving you. You've then got to go to the checkout line and pay for your stuff. Then you've got to go and get back into your car and then you've got to drive home. If there's something wrong and you need to return something, it becomes all of that all over again. So it's a very slow experience and the online experience is much faster. So that's one of the biggest challenges that retail is facing and that you might be facing as well if you've got anything that you offer that's slow in terms of delivering the experience and the product or in terms of consuming the, the experience and the product. Okay, that's slow. What about bumpy? So have you got a business that's highly regulated, licensed or controlled um, in some way? It may be government controlled, it may be industry controlled. Are customers forced to deal with you in a certain way? If that's the case, you could be ripe for disruption. Now, the example that's often quoted, of course, is the taxi industry. Highly regulated, highly controlled, force customers to work in a certain way, deal with them in a certain way, and then along comes Uber. Now, what Uber does is offers actually all three, fast, flat, and not quite free, but less expensive service than the taxi industry. But it's not only because it's cheaper, even if you charge exactly the same, it reduces some of the bumpiness of the taxi industry. For example, it has your credit card on files, so you don't have to carry cash around with you. Um, you can see your Uber driver coming towards you, uh, so you, you can be confident that it's on there on their way. You can download your statements monthly for taxation purposes and import them into your accounting software. Where um, you can rate your drivers and they can rate you, which means you get a, a better experience because people care about their ratings. Um, and of course, you could complain about taxi drivers, but how many people did that and what difference would it make? So Uber has solved a lot of the bumpiness of the taxi industry. Okay, let's look at the third one. So is your business expensive? Does it cost a lot of money for people to deal with you and to get the product or service that you offer? One of my favorite examples in this space is the idea of an ECG. So cardiologists, what they used to do was that if you had a heart condition, you had to go to a cardiologist regularly for checkups. And there were, you know, a series of ex extensive tests and they tended to be quite expensive. 
And now you have this little app called a Live Core, and it's an app and a little device. It's a device that you attach to the back of your iPhone, and you can do an ECG yourself from your phone at home, and the data is sent wirelessly to a remote monitoring center. And what used to be expensive now costs about a dollar every time you do that test. So you could afford to do a test every day. And suddenly, something that was very expensive and required a lot of technical knowledge can now be done by any ordinary person without any technical knowledge. And you've suddenly gone from very expensive to almost free. And in some places, it is free to be able to offer this. And the reason it's free is because the company that's, that's developing this software, um, they, they care about gathering information. They care about gathering data. And they reckon in about 10 years' time, they'll have enough information from millions of patients over such a long time that there's so much data that they'll have artificial intelligence software that will be able to predict heart attacks and strokes before they occur. So it's very valuable to be able to gather that information. So valuable, in fact, that they can even offer this service free or almost free. Okay, so that's slow, bumpy and expensive. And which of these is more important, slow, bumpy or expensive? Well, it depends. And I think all of them could be potentially risks or they could be opportunities for your business. And so when I do consulting with clients to help them with their strategic planning, what we do is we talk about this. We talk about slow, bumpy and expensive. We identify all the ways that your business is slow, all the ways that it's bumpy and all the ways that it's expensive. And depending on the industry, the way that you tackle it is different. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you can tackle all of them and solve all those problems, but just understand that those are pressure points and disruption points and an opportunity for somebody else to come in and compete with you. And you've got to decide whether you're going to let somebody else do that or whether you're going to do it yourself. So for example, there are some industries that are highly regulated, so they're bumpy. Healthcare, for example, is highly regulated. Education is highly regulated. Any sort of financial services are highly regulated. So it's not easy to say, okay, we can break the regulations, because not everybody can be an Uber and say that we're going to operate outside the taxi industry code and regulations, and then take on governments and eventually force them to change their laws, because we offer such a service. But it is possible in some industries for you to do that. In healthcare, for example, there are some countries where the regulations are different. So the regulations in Australia and New Zealand are different. And I reckon if you've got a healthcare company that works in both countries, it's useful to use New Zealand as a test bed, as a pilot project before you launch something in Australia. Not just because it's a smaller market, but because some of their regulations aren't as stringent. It doesn't mean that their quality is lower, but it means that they're a little bit flatter than Australia, which is quite bumpy, is quite highly regulated in that industry. So, for example, if you've got a health, some sort of healthcare product or service in New Zealand, it may be tougher because there are um, more competitors. There are Chinese entrepreneurs who are really smart, who are being, who are able to offer their product or service in New Zealand. And over time, they'll be able to offer it in Australia as well. So it's a good place to test it out. If you're in a highly regulated industry, look for a less regulated market rather than just assuming that you're always going to have those regulations in place. So that's an example of Bumpy and how you can deal with that. So as I said, we're not just looking at these as threats, but we're also looking at them as opportunities. Jay Summit, the, the author of the book Disrupt Yourself, says that every threat to the status quo is an opportunity in disguise. And so there are people who are taking advantage of slow, bumpy and expensive and turning them into opportunities. One of my favorite examples is not, it's not a big company like Google or Uber or Apple, but they're two little girls who run Charlie's Crafty Kitchen. As uh, so the two young Australian girls, eight-year-old Charlie 
and her five-year-old sister Ashley, and they have one of the world's most popular food and cooking YouTube channels. So they've set up a video production company in effect, because video production used to be slow, bumpy, and expensive, but because of YouTube, it's become fast, flat, and free. And they offer this free, and they get millions of visitors every month. But because they get so much traffic, they earn a little bit of pocket money as well through Google advertising. So they've created a business which was previously something that was only available to a tiny, tiny percentage of people, and they've turned it into a money-making business. Can you guess how much money they make? They earn $140,000 per month in Google advertising. So I reckon there's somebody who's found an opportunity and they've turned it into a very, very profitable business. So is your business slow bumpy and expensive. And the question I like to ask is, think about if the product or service that you offer could be done from an app. What would that mean for you? And then look at what that means for your business. For most businesses, that means they go out of business. So those are the pressure points that you have to think about. Slow, bumpy, and expensive. So look at your business and find the areas that are slow, find the areas that are bumpy, find the areas that are expensive, and then look at how you can manage them, improve them or protect against them in the short term, and in the long term, find ways to make them fast, flat, and free. And as you do this, and I recommend that you do this not just by yourself, but with your team, just keep in mind uh, this quotation from Upton Sinclair. He said, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. And of course, that applies to women as well. But just think about that. In almost every industry I talk to, there are people who just don't want to see the potential for disruption. They're, they're people who say, yes, but. So yes, but that's not going to happen to me. Yes, but my business is different. Or yes, but the government will never change. In financial planning, for example, robo-advice is a big topic at the moment. It's a hot topic. And robo-advice is the, the concept that there's now software, artificial intelligence software, that can give financial advice, or at least some kind of investment advice. And they do this by analyzing a whole bunch of data about a person and about investments and about a person's profile and they use what's called uh, big data and predictive analytics to provide investment advice. And some of their investment decisions and some of the advice they offer is better than what human advisors can do. And there are financial advisors who go, yes, but you'll never be able to get that personal touch. Yes, but everybody's different. Yes, but. And they've got a whole bunch of yes, buts. Um, but keep in mind that their salaries, their business depends on that yes, but being true. And I can look at it objectively and looking at it from outside, I think, well, yes, you're right, but also keep in mind that you're looking at it from your point of view and from what you've got. You've got a vested interest in thinking that way. And actually, in the not so long term, you're more likely to be wrong than right. So, just think about that. What is slow, bumpy, and expensive in your business, and what can you make into fast, flat, and free? So one other quotation, which has been attributed to a number of people, Mark Twain is one, but uh, probably the most common one is Josh Billings, and he said, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So it's not that we're wrong. It's just that the world around us has changed. So what used to work for us may not work anymore. The things that worked for us early in our business in that fast, flat, and free phase aren't the same things that are going to keep working for us, especially because the environment around us has changed. So just be willing to change as well and become fast, flat, and free again. So before I finish up, I want to share with you one other quotation, which is uh, from a book that I read a long time ago. And the title of the book 
is the quotation. If it ain't broke, break it. It's a book by Robert Kriegel. And this is something I came across uh, more than 20 years ago when I was working in a previous life as a middle manager for a small software company in Perth. I had just become a manager at the time and I read every management and leadership book I could get my hands on. And this one really resonated with me. Um, if it ain't broke, break it. And, and the endorsement at the top from one of the testimonials says this is more than entertaining reading it's survival skills in these times of breakneck change and think about that that was in the 1990s and if you think about it that's so much more true now than it ever was at that time and you don't need to read the book just take on board the title if it ain't broke break it so look at what's working for you and imagine that it's not just an asset but it could also be a liability it could be holding you back from doing something better so my last point is when you start looking at what to do please start before you're ready don't wait until you've got all your ducks lined up in a row because you'll never get there it'll never be perfect get going now and that's how you can offer fast flat and free so I hope this has given you an overview of disruption and some practical things that you can do to look at your business to find out where you could be at threat of disruption and also, as I said, to look for opportunities. If you want to engage with me, there are broadly three things that I do in my business to help businesses like yours get fit for the future and tackle disruption. My Fit for the Future keynote is very popular as an opening conference keynote presentation to get people ready and open their minds and get them thinking about what they need to do to get fit for the future. And as I said, it's quite often an opening keynote presentation because it helps you get your people in the right state of mind for the rest of the conference. It's also something I offer as a closing keynote and, and also as the first the morning speaker after the big gala dinner at your conference because you want somebody who who can deliver something that's engaging, thought-provoking, and can get the audience ready for the rest of the day. The second thing that I do is facilitation, so helping you with your strategic planning. And uh, what I do is run a session with your leaders to understand the most important future trends, to identify key strategic initiatives, and then help your team identify what bits they're going to take from the future and uh, incorporate into their own strategic planning and their own operational initiatives within their teams. So I do some research into the main disruptive forces affecting your industry and your business and then present it to the group and then lead a strategic planning discussion around those disruptive forces and how you can navigate them. And the third thing that I do is something that I call Futurist in Residence. And the goal of that program is to keep you regularly updated with the latest trends, the, the, the shifts and the disruptive forces in your industry and in your business. So you can plan for them and stay ahead of the game. So this is a one-year program. So I conduct ongoing research into the latest trends, the risks and the opportunities for your business and then present this to your board or your leadership team every three months. And, and during the year, I'll also deliver regular updates and I'm available as a sounding board for your strategic leadership team. So if you'd like to find out a little bit more about that, then I'd love to talk to you. Please get in touch and we can have a conversation about how I can help you get fit for the future. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and professional life. And if you did get some value from it, I would love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store, in the podcast area. And that helps to promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference, then check out my speaking topics and workshop topics at gihanspeaks.com. And if you want to engage with me in other ways, go to gihanparera.com, where you can find my blog, my newsletter, my podcast, videos, and my free webinars series. They're all free and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of your organization, your team, and of course yourself, that you can become fit for the future. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. 
for show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.